0: Archbooks Treasury Christmas Collection is the perfect Christmas gift for children, grandchildren, and godchildren ages 5 through 9. This new resource is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040. You can also purchase Archbooks Treasury Christmas Collection at issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for December, Archbooks Treasury Christmas Collection, 1-800-325-3040, or issuesetc.org. I cannot let you bring your war here. Outcast, that's all they see. I see you.
1: The way of water connects all things. Before your birth and after your death. This is our home. I need you with me, and I need you to be strong.
0: Those are some excerpts from the movie Avatar, The Way of Water. It's been a long time since the first Avatar movie came out, and a lot has changed in terms of the technology. At the time, it was groundbreaking in terms of its CGI, but the technology has advanced. Does it still have the preachy tone on environmentalism that the first one did? Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in live on this Tuesday afternoon, the 20th of December. Pastor Ted Geese joins us to review the movie Avatar, The Way of Water. Then Pastor Hans Feeney will make the case for Christmas Day worship services, even when that day falls on a Sunday. Pastor Ted Geese has a bachelor's degree in fine arts. He's pastor of Mount Olive Lutheran Church in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada, and he teaches a course for Concordia Lutheran Theological Seminary titled, A Lutheran Approach to Art, Media, and Film. Ted, welcome back. Thanks, Todd. It has been a long time since the original Avatar movie was made. It was kind of a sensation in terms of its CGI at the time. Why a sequel now?
1: The first one came out in 2009, so it's was that 13 years or something. Also, the big thing with that was 3D. And the 3D after that, all sorts of movies came out in 3D and they were not of the same quality. So James Cameron, the director of this Avatar, The Way of Water, the second Avatar film, he has a very high standard of, of excellence when it comes to filmmaking. So the, the question about like why now, like why, why another Avatar movie now, it's because James Cameron wanted to make more Avatar movies. In fact, he, he made this one and he also shot the next one at the same time so a bunch of the principal photography is done so they're in post-production for a, a sequel to this film and he's got two more kind of if these are successful in the in the works and maybe even if they're not successful he's in a position where he gets to make the movies he wants to make you know lots of filmmakers they have a schedule it's like you have this like 23 shooting days and you have to do it all in that amount of time and he doesn't have that he just he works on the project until it's done and then he releases it so uh for people who are wondering who james cameron is you probably know who he is if you don't know who he is he's the director of the terminator with arnold schwarzenegger from the 80s he did the sequel to alien called aliens from 1986 he did the film the abyss which was all deep sea diving underwater with an alien He did the sequel to the Terminator, Terminator 2, Judgment Day, which is a huge movie. He did another one with Arnold Schwarzenegger called True Lies. And then he made like probably the movie that all every listener probably has seen. Maybe I probably is the movie Titanic from 1997 won just so many awards and it got him that Titanic money. So essentially now he's got the money. To do kind of whatever projects he wants, so it took from 1997 to 2009 for him to come up to release the movie Avatar, and now it's taken another 13 years or so to come up with uh, Avatar: The Way of Water. But I think that you know now everything is kind of all the machinery is in place. He can churn out uh, a number of these films. His his thing is he really gets caught up on the technical aspects, and he wants to provide film goers with a high quality of a film going experience.
0: So review for us what the premise that was established in the first film was.
1: So uh, the thing with that previous Avatar film and also this Avatar film is that the stories themselves are pretty simple. The real showcase thing here isn't so much the story as much as it is the visuals, the technical stuff, right? So it's got a lot of flash, but the actual story is pretty simple. So that first one, when it came out, people said, well, it's a lot like Kevin Costner's Dances with Wolves from 1990. Or other people said, you know, it's a lot like Disney's Pocahontas cartoon from 1995. So the ways in which these are similar is that with Dances with Wolves you have Kevin Costner he ends up with plains indians aboriginal people in in the United States in the wild west. And in this film uh, that first film and it carries on into this film in Avatar Sam Worthington plays the character of Jack who's a kind of a jarhead who's part of this program. This is sci-fi. So he's he's part of this program on this planet called Pandora where he is, his brain is linked up into a uh, kind of a clone body of an alien that's indigenous to the planet, hence the term avatar being used for the film, and so he kind of goes amongst them and lives amongst them, and of course in the course of that film, he starts fighting with them and becomes a leader of their people. In the same sort of way that Kevin Costner does in Dances with Wolves. And he also develops a relationship uh, with this character of Natiri, who played by Zoe Saladin, that some people might remember from that uh, Guardians of the Galaxy film. She plays Gamora in that. But anyway, so she, the two of them become a couple. They fight against uh, the star people, like Jake's actual people that he came from, the, the humans from Earth. And that's the kind of thing. Now, the the way in which it's a little bit like that Pocahontas film is, again, you've got Pocahontas and you've got the character of John Smith, and they kind of become a, a couple and there's a, a romance and story like that. But also in that Disney film was something called Grandmother Willow, which was a tree that had like spiritual significance and like was a character and talked to the to Pocahontas and actually voiced by Linda Hunt who um, she's in one of those NCIS shows she's the little short lady very very super good good actress but she voices this tree and the tree talks to Pocahontas and in the same sort of way in this Avatar film you get the planet itself is a kind of a character in the film and they have a big tree and they link into the tree and the tree kind of gives them religious experiences. So this Eowah is the name of the goddess character that the planet is in this film. So this is um, sort of, you've, you've got a little bit of fish out of water who has to learn how to be part of the Aboriginal community. And that's all part of that first Avatar film. Also, I mean, you could kind of boil the whole thing down to you know, save the forests. So there's a way in which these films are very much about ecology, that kind of thing. In that first film, it was something called unobtainium. And we've talked about unobtainium before. It's a MacGuffin. It's a, the thing that they're looking for this. And it's so silly because it's even named unobtainium. But that was the thing that the miners from off world were coming to get off of the planet, Pandora, and this is why the Aboriginal people were fighting back against them because they didn't want to have their their forests completely stripped, like uh, clear and mined down to nothing to get this ore or whatever it was that they were trying to get. So that's that. That was the first film. So this next film, of course, kind of shifts it from the forest to the uh, oceans. So now we're going to be kind of with these uh, aliens that live or the indigenous people to the planet, the Nateri that live in the reef systems and islands in the ocean.
0: So you mentioned earlier Cameron's technical expertise and also his very high standard. Talk about the technical achievement. The first one was obviously that as well, but talk about the technical achievement in this sequel.
1: Well, listen, it's been a pretty awful year for films in general, I think maybe (laughs) people will have noticed this, you know, as we talk about, about films this year, I mean, there's been some shining lights, like you, you get, you know, the Top Gun Maverick film that was, that was a real movie, right? So because it had been so long since this other avatar movie and the way that the first avatar movie kind of just James Cameron just kind of tied it all up neatly at the end, it didn't feel like there needed to be a sequel To that so a combination of feeling like it didn't need to have a sequel and a lot of water has been under the bridge over the last 13 years i just went into this thinking you know like well how good could the cgi and the special effects and the the 3d actually be i mean have we progressed to the point now that this is just going to be kind of same as everything else kind of a deal. And then, you know, you think to yourself, well, it's three hours long. Like, this is not a, a short film, right? So I was maybe a little jaded as I walked into it. So having low expectations often is very, you know, helpful actually for watching a film. So I, I think I benefited from that. But I, I will say, you know, like, The executives from Disney that are involved with Lucasfilm and Marvel Studios and all the rest of it, these guys have been working their CGI artists like rented mules, and they've been churning out product at a rate that is unsustainable. And as a result, the actual CGI suffers. And, you know, it doesn't look always very good all the time in some of these big blockbuster Marvel and even Star Wars films or projects in the last little while. That's not the case here. Like these executives, these guys should be walking out of this film with their heads hung in shame because they have mismanaged their CGI people. Because if James Cameron can do this, then they can too and this is like phenomenal stuff and once you get out of the out of the forest kind of setting and you get into the water kind of setting it looks so incredibly good <laughs> like for most of the of the film it's it's kind of baffling or just amazing to look at there's a sense of which it's like it's very very real now they do this high frame rate thing it was something that was in the first of the Hobbit films by Peter Jackson and people were kind of like weirded out by it because the high frame rate makes it look more realistic. Like film has this flicker to it but once you get into the digital realm, you don't really need that. That's an artifact of the, the actual physical film of the past. So now you can put more frames per second up on the screen and it can kind of create more realism. So James Cameron is kind of done a thing where he it's almost like driving like a standard or whatever where you're shifting gears so there'll be times while watching this film where the frame rate will increase and it'll give it a more vivid realism and then there's like when people are just standing around talking the frame rate will like shift gears and go down to like your classic film frame rate so you know like there are just eye-popping periods uh like segments of this film that are something to behold also like I'm not a big fan of 3d because 3d kind of deadens out the color because you're looking through these 3d glasses and it's it's just not as bright and clear and that's a problem still with 3d but it just everything about the way that this is presented is pretty amazing because that all of that cgi I've never seen any cgi that is as good as this when it comes to like okay so it has to look correct underwater and it has to look like these aliens come out of like the indigenous people from the planet have to come out of the water and then the water on them has to look good they've, they've done some real amazing technical things with this film in terms of like just getting it to look as real as possible so that's an achievement in and of itself
0: so Is it a step forward? Is it this one of those kind of moments where people walked into the movie theater, saw what the filmmaker had produced technically in terms of production values? And is it that kind of a experience?
1: It's gonna be like that for some people. I mean, the other thing about it is, is that it's so real in some ways, you start to um, forget that it's CGI. Or you're not it's not something you're thinking about. Like we've often talked about the uncanny valley, and this is not really doing that uncanny valley thing quite the same way. And it's not just that it's like well done, it's also clever for the storytelling, because there's some characters that that are returned to their roles that probably shouldn't. <laughs> because if you remember the first film, the way the first film ended, like the villain, this Quaritch character, he died in the, at the end of the first film. But this is the villain of this film too. So there's a way in which they brought him back. But the CGI then actually facilitates that for making the film. It's a very well done thing. And I, I think part of it might be the time and care and attention to making sure that it's good. I imagine that other companies could do the same if they weren't like just racing to get as much product out as possible. So this might be partly because James Cameron has his Titanic money and he's now doing the projects he wants to do the way he wants to do them on the time schedule that he's decided he wants to do them on.
0: Uh, One more question with regard to the technical aspect of it, because You know, much of Hollywood, I won't say old Hollywood, but kind of classic Hollywood up until the advent of CGI, was a big industry. Filmmaking requires lots and lots and lots of people off camera to make things happen down to the smallest detail. Mm -hmm. And lots of work and lots of time to set up shots. And now all that's taking place under the team of the CGI team inside... A computer mainframe and the actors are walking around in green suits with dots on them on entirely green sound stages and I mean it's changed directing it's changed just about everything mm-hmm. that's being done here. Do you think that although obviously the f- individual films have replaced what the camera sees with what the computer generates but do you think it could ever replace it?
1: They would have had to have done a lot of principal photography of real things to manage to generate this. In the old days, quote-unquote, lots of people were involved in making films. I would say that there's probably, on a film like this, there's more people making this film than there would have been. But you wouldn't have been able to make this film exactly the way it is. Like, There's more people working on it today than there would have been 20 years ago. Like if you stay to the very end of the credits at the end, not because there's a post credit scene or something, but if you just stay to watch, to see all the names of everybody who's involved, when you get to the CGI related stuff, it's just armies of people that work on these. It's, it's, it's an incredible number of people, but it does come at a price. You know, there's going to be lots of films that can be made that don't require this level of, of computer graphic work and those ones will be i guess it gets into the category of profitability and whether you can kind of achieve what you're looking to do so the budget for this film is is 350 million dollars its opening weekend was 134 plus million dollars Its worldwide gross, though, was four hundred and forty-one seven, like when it comes to millions of dollars. So it's like it's already made back its budget on its opening weekend, and we're going into the Christmas break. So the profitability of it is always going to be a question when it comes to like how do we make a film? Do we just shoot it with a conventional film camera or not? Like you're kind of getting into the category now where. The old way of making films is kind of becoming an artisanal kind of way of doing it. And some filmmakers like the look of it. But all the time, you've got people trying to emulate that with the digital as well.
0: Pastor Ted Geese is our guest reviewing the movie Avatar, The Way of Water. When we come back, the first movie was kind of a thinly veiled sermon on environmentalism. What's the message of the second? Is due.
1: Saturday night and the moon is who cares what picture you see. Oh, come,
0: oh, come Listen to the best of the church's music for the Advent season at LutheranPublicRadio.org Public Radio.org. Sacred music for the Advent season. LutheranPublicRadio.org
1: This fallen creation is bested by tornado, hurricane, flood, pandemic, and more. LCMS Disaster Response helps our congregations, their pastors, and other church workers to reach out to their members and neighbors with mercy which flows from Christ to altar. We offer quality volunteer training, help for congregational readiness and response, and disaster grant funding. To learn more, visit lcms.org disaster. That's lcms.org disaster. Your lifeline to the Lutheran worldview. You're listening to Issues Etc. What does it mean to be a man? The December issue of The Lutheran Witness takes up the question of anthropology, and for us as Lutherans, understanding what man is and who man is begins first and foremost with understanding who Jesus is and what he has done, how he is the perfect man. Pick up your copy today by visiting cph.org witness, or visit our website witness.lsms.org, to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective
0: life week 2023 with lutherans for life is coming soon and you're personally invited to join in celebrating that you are blessed for life from sunday january 15th through saturday january 21st 2023 go to lutheransforlife.org for more information and for zoom links lutherans for life equipping lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel motivated voices for life lutheransforlife.org Welcome back to Issues Etc. We're reviewing the movie Avatar the Way of Water. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Pastor Ted Geese is our guest and he teaches a course for Concordia Lutheran Theological Seminary titled The Lutheran Approach to art, media, and film. If you enjoy our movie reviews with Pastor Geese, please make a year-end tax-deductible donation to support the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. No gift is too small. You can contribute by giving us a call, 618-223-8385. You can also make a secure online donation at issuesetc.org. Thanks for listening, and thanks for including the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. in your year-end giving. Ted, what's the message of this film? The first one was kind of a thinly veiled sermon on environmentalism. How about this one?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is in the same category as that. But again, like I said, the first film is Save the forests. This one would be Save the Oceans. And listen, who doesn't want that? We want to be stewards of the planet, right? And like that we're on, right? So he's using Pandora as a stand in. In a way, you know, this is a a trope that he's using is like kind of the evils of colonialism, that you know, like this external force is coming to this place and is robbing it of its resources for their own nefarious purposes. And that's not to say that there aren't companies and industries and sometimes entire nations that aren't nefariously doing these kinds of things, even in our own history, right? But this is what it all boils down to. I mean, you'll notice when you watch the film that the star people are all European descent, like, quote, unquote, white people. There's one obvious Asian lady who's in a couple scenes and not playing a scientist, by the way. But that's pretty much it. So, you, yeah, you can start to kind of maybe start to feel like it's that that preachy kind of thing might be in it. Except, of course, it's a three hour Movie, so what ends up happening is is that it's peppered in through there. It's part of the general story, but it doesn't come across as heavy handed as it might in a shorter version of a film like this. If it had been tighter in terms of its editing, maybe that would be more obtrusive. It is there it's it's kind of gently put there, but it's there. The main thing this time isn't unobtainium, it's amertia. This is the name that they have for it. And it's kind of found in a gland inside a whale, uh, at the base of the whale's skull. So there's these alien whales. One of your villains in this is whalers. So star people, whalers from Earth coming to like capture and kill whales just to get this this kind of ambrosia. The thing about it is, is that it stops aging. Like it stops it dead in its tracks. So it becomes this extraordinarily expensive substance back on earth. And then here's this other kind of interesting, strange detail. So this amrita stuff, that word is actually a noun that is found in Hinduism. And it, the, the meaning of it is the water of life. It's the drink of the Hindu gods. So the divas, these shining, exalted heavenly beings, divine beings, after being cursed, they stir up the oceans, churn up the oceans. And one of the things that comes out of it is this picture of Amartya, which is this ambrosia of immortality. So that's from actual real world here in this world, Hinduism. He's taken that idea and he's applied it to this liquid, this yellow liquid that comes out of the whale's gland to explain what that is, right? And nobody goes into any kind of detail about that. You just find out what Amartya is if you put it in a Google search engine and you click enter, and that's what comes up. But clearly it's not by accident because the Hindu idea matches up with what's going on on the screen. So this is something that you end up with in this film, which is kind of interesting. So, and essentially whaling is... It's a bit of a straw man. Who is he making this movie to like chastise? Like the Japanese? Like there's very few nations that do any whaling anymore at all. And I think that everybody sitting in the theater is gonna think to themselves, yeah, whaling's bad. You know, we remember seeing Star Trek for The Voyage Home and Captain Kirk explaining to us that whaling is terrible. So we don't need to be lectured about that. It's not about like pollution in the ocean or something like that. But it is, like, the underlying idea is Save the Oceans. That's part of this film.
0: You also wanted to talk about how families are portrayed in this film.
1: Now, this is one of the most interesting parts of this film. So, and I think that this is where it's going to have mass appeal. Like, people are going to really like this part of this film. The men are not treated poorly in this film. So Sam Worthington, as I said, the character of Jake, who's now fully Natiri and is married to this uh, Zoe Saladin's character. I guess that's the character named Natiri. There's a family unit. So there's a husband and a wife, four kids, one is adopted and they're a family unit and he's a real father and patriarchy is not a bad thing. And, you know, like at one point the family, you know, like she says, you know, you're too hard on, on these kids. And, and his response is that's my job, but it's not done out of malice. It's done out of love. And it's not just that one family, they end up having to flee the, the forest and join these other aliens down in the reefs. Like I was saying in that place too, you have the the uh, father and the mother as the leaders of the people and the fathers are respected they're not the butt of jokes they're not made to be disrespected and they're good with their kids like they're and they're but they're firm there's consequences to things the kids are normal kids like they they get into problems they need actually to be they're not smarter than their parents in fact they're proven not to be in lots of cases and they need to be rescued at times So there's ways in which it it actually mirrors what real life is like. It's also like, heaven forbid, it's binary. There's husbands and wives and it doesn't get into all the LGBTQ related stuff. That's not part of this. So that's all very interesting. And I think very appealing to lots of people. I, and you just don't see that very much. Like, you sh- you should, but you you don't. So I think that a father could take their kids to go see this movie and not feel like they were slighted by the movie. Like, at, you know, sitting in the theater and thinking, this movie hates me. And I just came and brought my kids and shelled out 25 bucks a kid to see this movie. And this stupid movie hates me. That's not going to be a thought that fathers would have going to see this film. Which... And the other thing is, is this is not in detriment to the female characters. So the female characters, they're able to be resourceful, powerful, contributors to the family, taking care of things, like they're a vital, important part of the whole entire story. You know, you don't fight sexism with sexism here. You have like a, a real family unit that is presented in a way that's believable and relatable. So, and also not, like notice, four kids, three of their own and an adopted kid. This breaks the 2.5 or one child or zero child general thing that you see in movies and TV shows and whatever else that gets pushed on society. So this is very different when it comes to that. I think it's one of the most positive elements of the whole entire film.
0: With about a minute here, what are your pastoral concerns?
1: Well, first, let's just start quickly with the the family-related stuff. So near the very beginning of the film, there's a quote from Jake who says, wherever we go, this family is our fortress. And then by the end of the film, he says about the sea, he says, we're sea people now. This is our home. I can't save my family by running. This is our home. This is our fortress. This is where we have to make our stand. Sorry, a little bit of a spoiler, but you probably figured that this is where it's going to go. As Christians, we think of like Psalm 18, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield. So in a way, this family part, which is very positive of this movie, also kind of taps into that whole kind of making the family into an idol in a way. Now, the thing with uh, this film too, and I kind of mentioned briefly about the religious related end of it, this film has... Like that Eowah character that they talk about all the time, the planet itself, is referred to as the Great Mother. So the Great Mother holds all her children in her heart, you know, there's also this idea that, you know, this is a quote from the movie, people say all energy is borrowed and someday you have to give it back. So there's kind of a materialism to the spirituality. And part of it is is that their physiology, they have a way of linking into other animals, into trees and things like that, and then sharing experiences all through Eowa, the god character. And then the whole point of the film, the way of water part, is when they're actually meeting with these reef people and the reef people say the way of water has no beginning and no end the sea is around you and in you the sea is your home before your birth and after your death our hearts beat in the womb of the world our breath burns in the shadows of the deep the sea gives and the sea takes away water connects all things life to death and darkness to light so as Christians, we're going to think back maybe to Job chapter one, right? Naked, I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So this is Gaia worship. It's pagan deity stuff for the Navi. I guess there's a way in which people could go see this film. There's lots of great action in the last hour of the film. He really pulls out all the stops. It's a very slow build up to that. But kind of under the surface of the water, as it were, going through it is religious ideas. And the religious ideas that are here are pagan. They're not Christian. You might walk in, sit down, watch this film, really enjoy it for the visuals, the technical aspects, also the positive family unit and positive father, children, you know, husband, wife kind of stuff. But don't forget to pay attention to the fact that there's this religious undercurrent So you might not agree with all the politics of it, but don't let the religious part get lost in the shuffle. And if there's questions or something to talk about afterwards, make sure you take the opportunity to do that.
0: Pastor Ted Geese has a bachelor's degree in fine arts. He's pastor of Mount Olive Lutheran Church in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada. And he teaches a course for Concordia Lutheran Theological Seminary titled A Lutheran Approach to Art, Media, and Film. You can read his movie reviews at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Ted, thank you. Thank you. Pastor Hans Vini joins us next. He has written recently, making the case that even if Christmas Day falls on a Sunday, you still go to worship. We'll find out why next. Archbooks Treasury Christmas Collection is the perfect Christmas gift for children, grandchildren, and godchildren ages 5 through 9. This new resource is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040. You can also purchase Archbooks Treasury Christmas Collection at issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for December, Archbooks Treasury Christmas Collection, 1-800-325-3040, or issuesetc.org. Memoria Press award-winning Latin programs have successfully taught hundreds of thousands of students across the world. Their easy-to-use, step-by-step Latin curriculum provides students with an academic vocabulary, a mastery of English grammar, and strong critical thinking skills. If you're interested in learning more, visit memoriapress.com and save $5 on your next purchase by using the coupon code LPR23. Memoria Press, Saving
1: Western Civilization One Student at a Time Spiritual and Religious You're listening to Issues Etc. When Martin Luther preached the dedication for the Torgau Church, he asserted that nothing else happened in this house but that our dear Lord speak to us and we respond in prayer, thanksgiving, and praise.
0: Issues Etc. guest, Dr. John Pless.
1: The same could be said of Concordia Theological Seminary. This is a place where our Lord speaks to us through His Word, and we respond in joyful and thankful confession. We therefore invite you to visit our campus where the Word of Christ dwells among us richly.
0: Learn more about studying for the vocations of pastor or deaconess at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Forming Servants in Jesus Christ to Teach the Faithful, Reach the Lost, and Care for All, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, ctsfw.edu or 1-800-481-2155.